So yeah, so what I'll be talking about today um, is my research with uh, pr pr professors Nicola Paprino, Anna Goldenberg, and Marzika Semi, all of whom are faculty at the, at the University of Toronto um, in the Department of Computer Science and the Vector Institute. And I'm currently a second year master's student uh, at the University of Toronto in the Department of Computer Science and the Vector Institute. So I'll be talking about differential private prediction in healthcare settings. So before I start talking about differential privacy, let's talk about anonymization and just how private it really is. So currently there are a number of regulations around the world that govern the privacy protections for healthcare data. So in Canada, there's PIPRA, in the US there's HIPAA, and in Europe there's GDPR. And there's different privacy protections depending on the use of healthcare data. So for example, my, so I can see my, my own healthcare data without any privacy restrictions, as can my doctors and the nurses that, um, uh, that care for me. And that's the same you know, for all individuals. But when we start to talk about using healthcare data for research purposes, or even trying to publicly release healthcare data, that's when we start to need stronger privacy protections. And that's when the regulations require stronger privacy protections. Currently, the gold standard for privacy protection for research purposes and public releases is anonymization. And so anonymization basically means that I will remove uniquely identifiable information like your name. Um, and, I'll, and then I'll also randomize or noise certain parts of the data so that it's very difficult to re-identify you based on the anonymized version. But what, what recent research has shown is that anonymization isn't actually as private as we believe it to be. Um, and with machine learning becoming a lot more prevalent, especially in healthcare, it's showing a lot of promise uh, with being able to diagnose diseases and improve operational um, management of hospitals. And so research has shown that there are, that there's new privacy attacks um, that are able to predict like whether an individual was used to train a machine learning model or to extract sensitive information about the individual's um, data that was used to train a machine learning model. So when we talk about anonymization, I wanna look at this di uh, this figure. And what this figure is showing is that, so let's say I am a hospital and I publicly release a healthcare data set of electronic health records. And so the, so the, public, rec so the public health record is on the left. And so it has information like the hospital, um, the patient's age, their gender, their zip code, um, the emergency code. So kind of what happened, what did they come in for? And then, so, so this is anonymized. So it's pretty hard to tell like exactly who this corresponds to, um, which is good. But what, what can happen is that, so let's say I have this public, like this public, this public news article or this public set of information that corresponds to a lot of the attributes in the health record. So for example, there's this news article on the right that basically shows, you know, so that, that there was a 60 year old man who was thrown from a motorcycle um, in Soap Lake and was taken to this specific hospital. And so it's pretty easy to link the information from this public news article to this publicly released health record. And so you can see like the 60, the 60 years old um, and the location, but what isn't in the health record because it was anonymized is the name but the name is in the news article. So because of that, with, it's pretty easy for me with high probability to now re-identify that, that this health record belongs to Ronald Jameson because the news article includes all of the data that was in the health record, but then also includes the name. And so this is where anonymization starts to break down and is not really private enough, um, especially given kind of these new, these new discoveries. So going further, 
we start starting to think about you know private public partnerships in machine learning for healthcare, where you know what happens when a private corporation such as Google or Amazon or Apple starts to collect healthcare data or purchases healthcare data from um, from hospitals or has research collaborations with academic hospitals. So a good example of this is when Google and the University of Chicago, uh, Chicago's medicine department um, shared electronic health records and then a patient sued, uh, sued both parties because of the fact that there wasn't consent given. But the thing is that the data was anonymized. Um, and, so, and so the thought is that, you know, there's no re-identifying information. You know, they can't really, neither Google or, or the University of Chicago can tell that this patient was in the data set. But if we think about just how much data like Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple collect about us as individuals, you know, specific behaviors, specific purchasing behaviors, you know, our, our addresses, um, our location. And so they have all this information that they store. And so it's, it would be quite easy for them to relink and re-identify, you know, an anonymized set of health data that they get with the data that they have on different users. You know, just through like our search behaviors um, and our social media behaviors as well. And so differential, and so what I'll show next is that differential privacy gives us a really nice way to enable these private-public partnerships in machine learning for healthcare, but it also protects patient privacy from these potential linkages that private uh, that private corporations which collect so much data about us can do. So what is differential privacy? So it's a rigorous definition of privacy that's robust to both membership and attribute inference attacks. So membership inference attacks in the machine learning context are, so if I have a machine learning model and I train it on a set of patient data, a membership inference attack is able, is when a malicious user is able to infer um, whether an individual was, so whether a patient was used to train that model. And then an attribute inference attack is when a malicious user is able to extract a sensitive attribute. So it could be like a health status um, or it could be, you know, like your socioeconomic status um, or whatnot. And so it, they're able to extract that information from the machine learning model that was trained on patient data. So differential privacy protects against those attacks. So how does it protect against those attacks? So let's say, you know, I have this, so I have this first database and I have this algorithm that's trained on this database of patients. And it produces these, this set of outputs. And then I remove one patient. And now I train the same model and produce another set of outputs. What differential privacy ensures is that, is that these sets of outputs are approximately the same, regardless of whether I remove or add an individual. And so what that means is that it's hard for an adversary or a malicious user to tell that there was a difference or to tell that one individual person was removed from the data set, which prevents them from being able to infer whether they were used to train a model or not. So the best way I like to think about differential privacy is that the outcome of a differentially private analysis um, on a data set is the same, is approximately the same with or without one individual's data. And the reason I say approximately is because the approximate, uh, the approximation uh, is what is how we measure the privacy level. So, so the closer they, so the closer that these two sets of outputs are to each other then the more private the uh, machine learning model is and the farther away, so, so the more different that these outputs are, then the larger, uh, then the worse the privacy is and the less private the model be, uh, becomes. Now, as I said, machine learning 
in healthcare is becoming, has shown a lot of promise and it's becoming quite prevalent. And, but it is very different from a lot of the different, from a lot of the really popular fields of machine learning right now, like computer vision and natural language. And why is that? So first, we really need good uh, utility and, and model performance for infrequent and rare diseases. So if an outcome happens in maybe like 5% of the time, we still need to be able to perform really well in identifying those cases. The next thing is that the populations of patients and the treatments and the hospital policies are constantly evolving. And so I can train a machine learning model on data from, from one year and then have it predict um, on patients in future years, but the populations might be different. And machine learning models right now, they tend to um, perform really poorly in that kind of setting when the population changes. And so we need to make sure that machine learning models don't perform poorly and that they don't fail when the population starts to change over time. The next thing that's really important is ensuring that the predictions and the quality of performance is equitable and the best that it can be for all individuals, you know, no matter of like, the, of like your, of your sex or your ethnicity and the intersections of those. Um, any, so, or like socioeconomic status, we really want these predictors to be um, the best that they can be for all of the possible, uh, for all individuals. And finally, as I mentioned, we need better privacy protection because the current regulations just haven't kept up with the pace at which um, you know, security breaches and technology is moving. So the thing with machine learning for healthcare is that we need to be able to simultaneously achieve all of these at once uh, for us to be able to really use it in a trusted manner. And of course, there are other objectives that I haven't mentioned that I don't focus on in my research here, like interpretability and explainability of the predictions of machine learning models. So what I'll be talking about today is what happens right now regarding those, th regarding those objectives when I train models for machine learning for healthcare using differential privacy. So we focus on two data sets. The first one is MIMIC3, which is an electronic health record data set. So electronic health records, they store information like labs. So like whether you have like, so you might have had a blood test, they store your vitals, for example, your heart rate, your oxygen levels, your blood pressure. And so we have, you know, and so what we extract is we focus on an ICU setting and we extract about 21,877 unique ICU stays over the course of 2001 to 2012. And this is from a hospital in Boston. And then the format of the data is, is, is time series. And so you can imagine, and so what that means is like, essentially I have, you know, I have a series of values like labs and vitals um, for every hour over the course of 20, over the course of the first 24 hours of a patient's stay in the ICU. And what we look at in this data set um, for, for regarding fairness is the disparities in the model's performance between white patients and black patients. And the tasks, the prediction tasks that we're interested in are mortality, so whether a patient died during their stay in the ICU, we're interested in length of stay, how long did a patient stay in the ICU, but we turned this into a binary prediction task where we say, did the patient stay in the ICU for more than three days or less than, or less than three days? And then finally, we focus on whether a patient needed to have a vasopressor administered to them during their stay. The reason we choose these three tasks is because there's varying levels of how often the outcome occurs. So in mortality, the outcome occurs um, not that often. So, it, so, it, it, so uh, about 7.4% of patients died in our data set for mortality versus about 40% of patients had to stay more than three days. 
um, in the ICU, and about 43% of patients had to have a vasopressor given to them during their stay. And so this gives us the, the, the ability to measure um, how useful differentially private models are um, when, the, you know, when the outcome is infrequent, but also when the outcome is more frequent. And then we focus on another commonly found um, data type in machine learning for healthcare, which is med medical imaging. And we focus on chest x-rays from the National Institute for Health in the US. And so we, do, so we, get, we get, get about 112,000 um, and 120 chest x-rays, and we measure um, the difference in performance between male and female patients. And we focus on a multi-label, multi-class disease prediction task. And so the reason it's multi-label is because an individual can have a chest x-ray taken and there can be multiple findings that a doctor may find. So for example, you could have a pneumothorax, but you could also have, you could potentially have a mass that's found at the exact same time. And so it's important that the models are able to predict both of these findings at the same time. And with this task, the, the, for each of the labels, the label, the occurrence of like the disease um, varies. So like the most commonly occurring disease occurs about 20% in 20% of patients. And the, and the most rare disease occurs about 2% in about 2% of patients. So again, this gives us the ability to measure how useful are differentially private models um, when the disease happens very infrequently. So the first question, you know, I kind of bring attention to is, I mentioned these, these privacy attacks in machine learning. And, you know, so the first thing to think about is like, are they a problem? Are, like, do they, are privacy attacks possible on models that are trained um, using healthcare data? And the answer to that question is, is yes. So when we look at the models trained with no differential privacy, they have a 72% chance. So a malicious user has a 72% um, ability to predict whether your health data was used to train the machine learning model. And then when we use really strong privacy, so high levels of differential privacy, um, the performance of an adversary or a malicious user goes down to zero goes down to 55%. And so 50% is you know, random chance. And so that's kind of the best that we can do. And so high differential privacy gives us kind of the best that we can, like very close to random. And so that's really good. It shows that if we want to protect patients' information when it's used to train machine learning models, we need to use differential privacy uh, because these attacks are possible. So the first thing I'll focus on, I'll, I'll focus on is the trade-offs between privacy and utility um, for when the outcome is, is infrequent. And so we train both logistic regression models and neural networks using differentially private stochastic gradient descent. So differentially private stochastic gradient descent, also known as DPSGD, um, is just one method of training machine learning models with differential privacy. There are, there are a, a number of different methods, but we choose DPSGD uh, because it has optimal theoretical uh, guarantees and also because it applies to all of the different models that we train. So the first thing to notice you know, on this table is let's focus on the mortality task. So in the mortality task, which is the one where only 7.4% of patients um, experience the outcome you know, of death here. And so we see that with no privacy, um, there's an 82%, like the model performs um, with, a, with an AUC of 82. So the AUC, which is the um, area under the curve, um, we use that because that is that, that was commonly used um, to measure the performance of medical diagnostic tests, uh, which you know I hope that one day machine learning will be a part of a, you know a part of existing diagnostic tests. And so, um, so without privacy, we see that it's 0.82, which or like it's 82, which is quite good. But with high privacy, 
the performance of the model drops 22%, drops 22% um, in the mortality task for the logistic progression model. And the drop is even worse um, in the recurrent neural network model. And so this is concerning because it means that differentially private models right now have difficulty kind of predicting um, where making good predictions when the outcome doesn't occur that often. But then when we look at length of stay where the outcome um, occur, uh, occurs much more often, the drop in performance is much less, it's only 9%. And so the trade-off is better when the outcome occurs more. And then when we go to the test x-ray classifier where there's a number of outcomes and also these outcomes occur in varying frequencies, all of which though are less than at least 20%, we see that, that the performance of the model drops significantly and it's now a worse than random classifier. So it's completely unusable. So this is concerning, but the, th the thing to keep in mind is that we do need this privacy protection. And so what this shows is that, you know, we still have a lot of work to make sure that we, to like find improvements to differentially private learning so that we can reduce these trade-offs when the, when the outcome doesn't happen that often. The next thing I'll talk about is what happens when the when the when the, when the population or the treatments or the policies evolve over time? So, so in this graph, like first we'll focus on the mortality graph. And so the burgundy lines represent models that were trained without privacy, and the purple lines represent models that were trained with privacy. And so what's interesting about the MIMIC3 data set, if you remember, so the electronic health record data set that we used is that we have the timestamps from 2001 to, to 2012. And what happened in the hospital was that they used the same software system from 2001 to 2008. So all the data was collected on the same software system for those years. And then they switched the software system after 2008 from uh, up until 2012. And so now the, the data was collected with one software system from, two, from 2001 to 2008, and then a different software system um, from 2008 to 2012. And so, what prior research has shown is that models um, that models train with their without private so without privacy um, when if I train a model on all the data from 2001 to 2008 and then I test the model on patients from after 2008 so after the software switched the model tends to perform much worse which is what you can see here in this gray bar in this gray bar which is when the software system changes that the that the performance is is above 80, and then it goes below 80 because of this because of the switch in the software system. And so what we're interested in is that, so differential privacy has optimal theoretical guarantees regarding this kind of um, being able to be robust to switches and shifts in the data. And so we wanted to see, does this hold in a healthcare setting? So what we, what we find is that for mortality, um, it does hold nicely. Um, and so you can see like the model, doesn't drop, the model's performance doesn't drop as much as it does without privacy in the high privacy setting. And it's even, it kind of goes up uh, for the neural network model, which is the dotted purple line. But the thing you have to caveat this with is that you have to remember that the utility for the mortality task was quite low. And so it's hard to conclusively say whether this is, um, whether like it really is more robust to these kinds of evolving populations and evolving, um, the evolving data over time. Because what we see for like the stay and for vasopressor administration is that the performance drops um, even, with, even with high levels of privacy, the performance drops um, when the software system changes. So 
there's not really anything conclusive right now on whether differential privacy can help be robust to these evolving populations um, and maintain its performance over time. The next thing I'll talk about is you know, the trade-offs between privacy and fairness, which, is, which are very important. So looking at the difference in recall for between white and black patients for mimic-free mortality and the length of stay, we see that there's not really any big differences um, when I like without privacy or with privacy. And so me measuring it through like a statistical measure such as recall and just checking the difference doesn't really give us a strong understanding of whether um, differential privacy improves fairness or whether it makes uh, fairness, makes the models more unfair. But again, the issue is that these models have very low utility. So it's hard to know whether whether this is due to the low utility. So we try to understand it. So we, so we, we try to understand the fairness from a different perspective, which is how do different groups of patients influence the, um, influence the predictions um, for other patients? Meaning that if I like, do patients that, uh, that survived um, help give us better predictions than patients than, um, than, than patients that died? Or for example, um, you know, does the majority ethnicity group give better predictions than the minority ethnicity group? And try to answer questions, try to see how does differential privacy deal with those kinds of questions in terms of fairness? And so what we find is that first looking at models trained without privacy. So in this graph, the orange points represent the impact that the group of patients that died had on giving us good predictions. And then the blue point represents the impact that the model, that the, the impact that patients that survived, so the majority, um, so the majority uh, class in this setting, um, the impact that they had on giving us good predictions. So points that lie above um, the dotted line are helpful. They help us give good predictions. So what you can see is that when we train models without privacy, the patients that died give us, help give us the best prediction. And the patients that survived um, work against us and they start to uh, go against giving us the best predictions. And so, and so that's what helpful and harmful stands for on the y-axis is that helpful meaning that the, that the group of patients gave us, helped give us good predictions, harmful meaning that the group of patients um, went, worked against us, uh, worked against giving good predictions. Now, what happens when we introduce high privacy, so strong high differential privacy? What we see is that the impact that patients that died gets minimized. So it goes towards zero, meaning that they, they don't really have an impact at all on the kinds of predictions that we get. And so this is one way to think about why the models really perform poorly um, when, there's, when, there's an when the outcome doesn't occur that often, uh, which is because by design, so the way the differential privacy was designed is that it has to, put more work into hiding um, patients that, you know, or individuals that don't occur that often or are more or are dissimilar to the majority uh, because they're more uniquely identifiable. And because of that, it has to learn less about those individuals. And so because patients that die have, um, in, you know, occur less frequently than the patients that survive, differential privacy has to learn less about them right now. And so that's why what you see you know, in red with the high privacy graph is that um, they don't really have an impact at all on, you know, whether we can get, you know, on getting good predictions. Now, looking at this from 
you know, comparing the performance between white and black patients, what we see is that when we try to understand, you know, what, you know, what patient group helps give the best predictions for black patients, we find that models trained without privacy, it's that black patients are helping give the best predictions for other black patients. But what we find is that when we introduce high levels of privacy or even any kind of privacy, so both low or high, um, what happens is that now white patients are having the best or are helping give the best predictions for black patients. And so the thing to really consider, and this is a really important thing to consider is that um, the use of ethnicity in medicine is, you know, we're still trying to understand it. We're trying to understand, you know, how do we fairly use ethnicity? Should we be using it at all? Um, and so this is a very strong assumption for models that are trained with differentially private to make is that the majority ethnicity should, um, or like making, the, making it so that the majority ethnicity um, influences and impacts um, good predictions the, the, the most. And so this is something to consider and something that, you know, from the machine learning for health perspective and from the differential privacy perspective, we should try and understand whether is this desirable? Is this not desirable? And what are the design choices that we need to make going forward? Um, you know, when we train models with differential privacy um, to account for majority groups having influence over the predictions that, that minority groups receive. So other important considerations to take into account is that some of the solutions for, um, you know, for improving, you know, differential private, differential private models, um, especially when there's, you know, when the outcome is, it doesn't occur that often is use some small amount of public data and to fine tune your differential private on small amounts of public data. The, the, the thing is that in healthcare right now, unfortunately, public data is really hard to come by. It's really hard to come by public data. Um, we can't, you know, and I look forward to a future where more health data is public um, for research purposes, but it's not the case right now. And so that's not really a solution currently. And then the second thing to think about is that one of the solutions um, based on the way that differential privacy works, you know, as a framework for giving privacy um, is to give less privacy to the minority groups or like the groups that happen in, um, not that often, you know, the individuals that happen not that often. But so, so this is a really good diagram uh, from a, a presentation that uh, Dr. Cynthia Dwart gave this year, where she describes how, you know, not everybody gets to trust and gets to have, you know, you know, less privacy or gets to trust society equally. So different, so my interpretation of this is that, is that the, most often the minority subgroups will want and will need to have stronger privacy guarantees because they are not able to trust society as much as the majority, um, as the majority. And so giving them less privacy is the opposite of what they will most likely want. And so I personally believe it's an, an, it's an unethical design choice. And so we need to find a way to build differentially private learning algorithms and to train differentially private models um, that can give the same level of privacy to all individuals or give them all, like, or give them each their desired level of privacy um, in accordance with this graph of how not everybody gets to trust society um, the same. And so different individuals will most likely want different levels of, of differential privacy. So what are the future directions? What are the things that I'm thinking about? What are the things that I think uh, you know, I, I'd really like to see the broad machine learning for healthcare, the healthcare community, and the differential privacy community think about. So the first one from, from a technical standpoint for me is 
how do we make differential privacy fair for all individuals where we give them the same level of privacy but we can also guarantee them approximately the same level of performance um, instead of just the majority getting the best performance and then the second question is how can we start discussing moving towards differential privacy as the gold standard uh, when we share clinical data um, instead of uh, instead of uh, instead of anonymization which you know as i talked about in the presentation isn't as private as we once thought it was. Um, so how do we engage the right, you know, the right individuals in hospitals, um, in academia, in the, you know, in the private sector to start pushing for this being the new gold standard um, of privacy in healthcare. And with that, um, thank you for listening. And I wanna thank uh, my advisors um, for just helping me along the way um, and helping with this paper and being great collaborators. And now I'll take questions.